This episode of Nerd Cognito is brought to you by CuraDebt. CuraDebt Debt Counseling offers you free debt settlement consultations. You're not dealing with the banks. You're not dealing with the credit cards. You're dealing with a company that is there to work for you and not the creditors. Hey, bad things happen. Bad things happen to all of us. If you have $10,000 or more in unsecured or credit card or personal loan debt, you owe it to yourself to give them a call. Pick up the phone, call 866-951-2699 for your free debt consultation. CuraDebt will work with you and provide you with a roadmap to rebuilding your credit. It's free. You have absolutely nothing to lose, but possibly the bad stuff that comes along with debt. 866-951-2699. Gather up your statements, give them a call, and take advantage of a free consultation. 866-951-2699. Cura Debt. 866-951-2699. Now, on with the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Nerd Cognito. My name is Ryan David. Thanks for tuning in and joining us on the podcast provider of your choice. I am joined, as always, by Bert. Hello, Bert. Hey, Ryan. How's it going? Oh, pretty good. We had a, a little misfire earlier this week. We typically record our show a couple days before the drop, but we are literally the day before the drop because uh, women and emotions, what can I say? (laughs) Family Trump's podcasting. It it does. It does. The, the wife definitely needed some moral support. So had to bail out on, uh, on our normal recording evening, but we're back and better than ever. So to speak. Plus, you know, Nobody wants to leave a wife crying, saying, I, uh, I'm in the studio doing the podcast. That, w- that would have been very bad. No, I mean, you know, your face on a milk carton would be normal at that point, right? Right. You know? The last thing I need is another ex-wife. So. <laughs> oh. uh, but we are back. We are, we are, we're at full steam. And actually, I think because of the lapse and the extra day... We have a better show lined up anyhow because we were able to swap out a segment that I, I, I did I did give the preview of it last week in, in case you forgot. It came from Twitter. It came from Twitter. All of the glorious cesspool floaters that I've experienced in my month back on Twitter was going to be a segment, but... Uh, you know, my man crush, Mr. Musk, succeeded in his bid to take over Twitter, and so no one really gives a shit about anything we have to say about Twitter right now. So we're going we're gonna to talk about something I think that's even more interesting than people calling me a fuckstick on Twitter, which is we're going to run through all of the future Star Wars games that are announced to date, and they have quite an interesting list, Bert. Okay, I'm ready for this. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Announcements are the theme of the week. You heard the Wizards announcement, didn't you? 
Uh, you're talking about the announcement that they're going to be releasing Spelljammer or something? Uh, yeah, Spelljammer joining Dragonlance in their reboots and revivals. I did see the announcement, even though the official Wizards D&D account now has blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> oh, man, you are just, you're the most hated man on the internet. Well, you can hate me too on Twitter at I hate Ryan David. Now, you know what's interesting is... It really does speak to what my biggest complaint about Twitter has always been, which is Twitter is so reactionary that a lot of the value of the conversation that Twitter can provide is lost. I can honestly Mm. say I never responded, tweeted, or retweeted anything from the official Wizards D&D account. But it was heat from the Sparkle Trolls out there... You know, they, they do exist in our hobby. <laughs> Retweeting and saying what a horrible, horrible person that Ryan David is. And I guess that there's a Sparkle Troll on staff. One of my close friends that has a little inside information as to who and what is actually behind some of the blue checkmark accounts tipped me off that uh, there just might be a Sparkle Troll and I can't, you know divulge that source because he has to hide in plain sight at Twitter because there's a lot of them on staff there too. (laughs) But um, nonetheless, yes, the highlight of my week was discovering that the the Wizards D&D Twitter account has me blocked. So let's talk about something a little little more positive, Bert, which is, well, I hope it's a little more positive. I hold my breath with the two announcements that Wizards did make. Notably being the revival of Dragonlance, which awesome. makes you super happy. Right, Dragonlance was great. Kenders and Knights, like, I loved the Dragonlance setting. It wasn't my absolute favorite, but they already said they're never going to bring back my favorite. Well, there, I actually have a little postscript for you when we wrap up this segment about your absolute favorite. And... uh it's a possibility, but oh, it's really? going to look and feel very different, and um, that's all I've got to say about that. Oh, man. Yeah, it, it is a, a disappointment. But also with Spelljammer, Spelljammer was announced, which was where I cut my gaming teeth back as a young lad, gallivanting through space as a gritty space pirate sailing the cosmos through the different dimensions in my magically powered vessel. Ah, Spelljammer. What fond, fond memories I have of you. Oh, I remember my first Spelljammer campaign. Our DM gave us a ship, and the ship had uh, a specialized engine that ran on magic items, so you had to sacrifice all the magical loot you were getting to keep moving. Oh, Bert. That would not go over well in the modern community now. <laughs> There's a lot of people that still try to win at D&D that are out there. That would, like, you would have tears at the table. Maybe we need I Hate Bert at Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was funny. Like, uh, we would be shoveling plus one daggers into the furnace all day long. Yeah, your wizard was definitely busy creating fuel for your ship. That is genius. I love it. But um, the Wizards announcement, everyone was super excited, myself included. I was as positive as could be 
when the announcement first came out. Okay. And then some time went by. And Wizards is doing the equivalent of a reimagining of both settings. Uh. To the point where the original developers of each setting have publicly issued statements that Wizards did not consult or talk to them at all regarding the re-release of the setting. Now, I get it. They own the IP. They don't have to. Right. And Spelljammer, it did have one primary developer. Right. Everyone knows Jeff Grubb was the one that introduced the universe of magical starships and going through the crystal spheres. But he did have a team behind him. You know, nothing is a one-man show. Although back then, things were more of a one-man show. There were a lot of people that were, you know, pretty close to a one-man show back then. Jeff Grubbs on record is saying nobody talked to him, nobody bounced anything off of him, and his understanding is, of course, if the product's announced, that it's ready to go to press. Following up in Jeff Grubbs' footsteps with that was Margaret Wise, which, as you know, was half of the dynamic duo of the Dragonlance setting, and she echoed the exact same sentiments. Mm. And that set the old school gamers, um, I don't want to say it set them off, they became aware, you know? Sure, I mean, the way, uh, and not to get off topic, but a reimagining of a classic game setting, to me is almost like when they reboot a classic horror movie, it's never going to be as good as the original and you just hope that they're not going to destroy it. Well, if you look at the art style, and I'm going to I'm going to send you some production pieces of the Spelljammer okay. art style. I remember the old Spelljammer art style was kind of cool. It had that the fonts that were selected and things like that for the old Spelljammer books just added a like an element of like they added that sort of a fantastical sort of lighthearted element to the, you know, the look of the thing, you know? It did. But it still had, for lack of a better term, space grit all over it. Oh, sure. Well, the space grit has been dusted off, unfortunately, and it's now sparkling. It is very much akin to this art style that we see in the now panned Strixhaven supplements. That's very... um... I'll, I'll say it. It's disconcerting to a Spelljammer fan. Hmm. I mean, obviously, art styles change over the years, but I wouldn't have expected to see this style for the new books. For those of you that, obviously, have not seen it, we're looking at a picture that has Boo and Minsk from Baldur's Gate fame riding on the back of a cosmic dragon... Looking very cartoony, which if you know Minsk from the Baldur's Gate setting, Minsk was not cartoony. He was a little dim. He was comic relief, but he wasn't ha-ha comic relief. Right, right. I mean, the looking at the style, it's... Like I said, I'm, I'm going to reserve judgment. Like, this is the only promo shot I've seen, but it looks a little... I've like got Like you said, more. a little cartoony. Not serious. I've got more. (laughs) Oh, boy. Better or worse? Obviously, I picked what I thought was the most ridiculous one 
for the first one. Ah, a pair. But still, it just doesn't convey a feeling of seriousness at all. This is the famous Nautiloid. Okay, so looking at this, it almost feels like... Um, it's cartoon oh, Spelljammer, Bert. And not even... I, I wouldn't even say it's cartoon Spelljammer. It's like... You ever seen one of those older movies that's like a watercolor cartoon? Uh, Something like... Oh, what was the... Uh, what Dreams May Come type yeah, effect? Yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. That kind of effect, yeah. Yeah, it's not the first go-to thought when I think of Spelljammer. And again, I'm an old grognard, apparently. (laughs) But that's okay, because when you reboot something like Dragonlance, and when you reboot something like Spelljammer, you are clearly targeting my dollars. The, The thing that I found interesting in my new wade through the wasteland of Twitter is the amount of people new to the hobby, and rightly so. I'm not shitting on folks new to the hobby. Trust me, I will shit on the folks that deserve to get shit on. But folks new to the hobby that had no clue what either setting was. There was a lot of, what's Spelljammer? And people were doing their best to guide them through it, but then came the Sparkle Trolls. And the Sparkle Trolls were gloating about how what is a notoriously difficult setting to both play in and run is now going to be the antithesis of players like me. So, what do you mean? No history, no story, no no lore, no canon? You got it. Everything appears to be worked from the ground up at the most fundamental level ever. Hmm. Here so are some want- components in the Spelljammer set. The Astral Adventurer's Guide, a 64-page hardcover book for the players and dungeon masters that presents the entire astral plane as a campaign setting, includes space-based character options, spells, magic items, deck plans, and descriptions for ships. Hmm. It has also Boo's Astral Menagerie, piggybacking on the Minsk and Boo reference in the art, which is another small 64-page book specifically for DMs that presents statistics and descriptions for 60 creatures. There's Hmm. another 64-page supplement, Light of Zarsis, which is an adventure for characters level 5 to 8. A double-sided poster <laughs> and a DM screen. Now, for people, like you were saying, they're after your money. So they want your nostalgia dollars, but they don't want to give you anything nostalgic. Like, the lore is gone, the canon is gone, the history is gone. How do they expect to get your nostalgia money if they're not giving you anything to be oh, nostalgic about. because they're selling me on, quote, astral elves, cosmic horrors. Okay, cosmic horrors. Uh, uh, I'll read on, right? Lunar and solar dragons, of course. Murder comets and space clowns. Hmm. Yeah. 
then you get icons like Jeff Grubb chiming in and saying, this is not your daddy's spell jammer. It took the wind right out of my sails. Hmm. I think, let me rephrase that, I'm sure that I'm going to pass on Spelljammer. And that's a shame, because that seems like something that you would have loved had it maintained any of its like prior incarnation at all. Right. There's no continuity other than names to what once was. And I'm not opposed to change, you know. There is the whole OSR community, the old school renaissance, and those are folks that, God bless them, they're still playing Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, Thacko and all. Oh, wow. I have evolved with the systems, and I've played every iteration over the years, because I do recognize that things clean up and get modern. But 5th edition was a big red flag, because things went from being cleaned up and modern too simple in every definition of the word. Not just ease of use, but lack of depth. And that seems to be carrying over to Spelljammer, and I dare say it's likely, because we're talking about the same development team. Wizards has their woke wizards behind the scenes that are creating everything. They're literally creating everything, Bert. It's the same people. You don't have the dynamic of different creative processes and philosophies coming into play to create these systems. It is a bunch of folks that want to be anthropomorphic foxes in real life, carrying out their heart's desire on my beloved hobby. Hmm. Now, I mean, you said that... uh... Now, do you really think that 5th edition is less creative than 4th edition? I mean, that basically was on rails. 4th edition had some great things that I've defended on the podcast before. I think for Dungeon Masters, 4th edition really streamlined tools that allowed people to make their campaign their campaign. The customization that was available for DMs in 4th edition was superb. I hated it because it forced what I think is the plague of any tabletop role-playing game, which is the battle map, right? It turned it into a tabletop video game. I'm not by any means singing the praises of 4th edition, but there were positives that came through it, and I also recognized as a player and as a DM that if I wanted new content, and even in 4th edition, you had... You know, the term that everybody loves to use right now, the diversity, in that it wasn't a centralized design team. There was no hive mind. There were people that contributed. Now we have a hive mind. So not only are we getting one perspective, but we're getting one perspective whitewashed across the board. Hmm. Can't imagine why Wizards (laughs) has blocked me. (laughs) To play devil's advocate, though, if you take away... You know, the the lore, the history, like the, precon- the pre-built, preconceived notions, then theoretically you're opening it up to infinite possibility, but there's no direction. Like it's There's no direction and there's messy. no backbone, right? You have a puddle of goo that's rainbow and sparkly goo, which makes the new players 
and folks of a very specific political persuasion, which we are not going to get into on the show because we avoid politics like the plague. But it is clearly marketed towards a very vocal minority segment of the hobby. And that started with the release of 5th edition, which unfortunately, or fortunately, produced all of the side components, or not components, but products, that were available as alternatives. You had some great stuff come out. What's my 5th edition go-to replacement, Bert? Mm. No, let's Mm. not play 5th edition. Let's play... 13th Age. Yes. Why? Because it was the original folks that were developing 5th edition that did not like the direction that 5th edition was going, that did recognize the dumbing down of not just the content, but the lore. And this is before we got rid of orcs being evil. This is before we had battle wheelchair rules. They said, this isn't the game we want to put our name on. (laughs) So, I don't know. Spelljammer has sailed off of my horizon. And, And I'm sad to say that. Usually, I'm really not excited to transition out of our first segment and talk about what is always at the center of the podcast, because it usually makes my head want to blow up. But I cannot wait for the news. (laughs) Understood. Uh, Lots of, uh, lots of stuff that I kind of want. This is like a shopping spree for me in the news this week, Bert. Okay, cool. What's good in new in the news then? Well, you know, I've got to bring my spirits up, and when I need to bring my spirits up, I'm going to eat. <laughs> me too, all uh, the time. Don't we know it? What was your best meal this week? Uh, Mediterranean marinated grilled pork chops. Oh, you were telling me about this at gaming night. Yes, you were you were sharing your marinade, and it sounded easy and delicious. It was easy and delicious, and then a little bit of uh. Butter and chive mashed potatoes to go along with it. Perfect perfect way to sit down and relax. Well, this week we have the fusion of technology and kitchen tools. Ooh, Leading okay. off the news, a new utensil development, of course, coming out of Japan. Of course. Uses electrostimulation in a set of chopsticks to stimulate various elements of the body and make food taste more savory and salty without adding any salt at all. Now that's interesting. I mean, I'm always one for a good gadget, but I wonder how that works. Is it like ionization? Researchers at uh, Meiji University in Japan and a Japanese food producer called Kirin, which we know for Ichiban, right? Oh yeah, sure. Kirin is, they produce all kinds of stuff. Created the chopsticks as a proof of concept for Japan's Ministry of Health to reduce the daily salt intake of the Japanese people, which, if, as you know, they're, they're, they live forever, but they eat a fuck ton of salt. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, uh, some, of the, some of their dishes are based around salt. Shio ramen, for example. There you is, go. You know. and, and it's delicious. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Well, these chopsticks come into play. On one end of them, there's a metal contact, and it passes an electrical current with a very specific and proprietary waveform into the diner's mouth. 
and it affects oh. the ions in sodium chloride and MSG. So the umami flavor is crazy enhanced. I was right. It's ionization. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, a recent trial that added the electrical stimulation increased the salty flavor as perceived by the test audience by one and a half times with a 30% reduction in salt in the preparation of the food. Sounds amazing. Now the question is, are they safe? Are you going to short out your tongue or something weird, you know? I am reasonably certain that they're safe. There's videos and photographs of people using it, and we're not talking a large jolt by any means. I mean, who hasn't licked a 9-volt battery? Yeah, we've all done that. That's <laughs> kind of fun. It was when we were kids. So they're investigating other methodology and other utensils. We might get a spoon that will enhance sugar flavors. Uh, that would Ooh. be That would be good, right? Yeah, absolutely. But right now it is just proof of concept. But they have absolutely refined the chopsticks, quote, to a point where they are able to make a more consumer-friendly version that connects to a wrist-worn battery pack in the near future. Leave it to the Japanese. That's really creative, innovative, and I would want to try them. Strangely enough, like, it's something that kind of makes me hungry. I was like, wonder what that would be like. It can't be as good as the real thing. You mean as real salt? <laughs> right. Nothing is ever as good as the real thing. I mean, it obviously caught my eye. I threw it in the news queue for the week. I think it is an innovative and really basic concept, right? It's not taking cutting or bleeding edge technology. It's taking technology that's been out there for decades, but applying right. it in a different way. And God knows if we can be a little healthier. I mean, I'm not going to sign up for any marathons anytime now, and I'm certainly not going to skip out on my milkshake tonight. Oh, no. Definitely having one of those. But, you know, if I can be a little healthier, I'll do it. Do I think that I'm going to charge a device, though, to eat with? Eh, I don't know. I don't see this as being a practical, everyday home sort of product. Since we're on the subject, top milkshake flavor, Ryan? Vanilla. Okay. Simple guy. Simple. You know, I've been called a lot, but uh, never a simple guy. But yeah, no, vanilla would be my top go-to milkshake flavor. What do you What do you got? Chocolate peanut butter. Very rich. A little too Very much. Rich. Uh, see, I, I do like a thick milkshake, but I also like to, to drink the milkshake as opposed to eat the milkshake, and... Every time I do chocolate peanut butter, it's, the richness turns it more from a beverage into a dessert for me. I got it. Well, if we were kids, again, God, if only. Oh, yeah, I would, uh, I would take that in a minute. We would be playing our Genesis and Super Nintendo and NES, right? Right, eating 80s food with uh, horrible amounts of <clears throat> chemicals and... Uh, well, madness. you could reduce some of the sodium with those chopsticks. <laughs> Though There was always sort of this urban legend, at least in my school, of this guy that took a Nintendo and a Genesis and a Super Nintendo and 
made one super console that played everything. Did you have that urban legend in school? Oh yeah, sure. The guy, the guy, and like they, they got more and more outlandish as time went on. Like for a while it could play everything from an Atari, an Atari cartridge all the way up to Nintendo 64. Well, the super retro trio has answered our prayers. (laughs) The super retro trio is a new console that takes all three of those cartridge-based systems, the Genesis and both of the Nintendo systems, and smashes them into one. This is an affordable retro console that plays NES, Super NES, and Sega Genesis cartridges, all with one little sliding switch on the top. And that's awesome, because a lot of times you can find the game cartridges, but those consoles are getting rarer and rarer. Right. It will even play cross-region cartridges with a region switch on the back. So if you do have your favorite import, all you got to do is click it over to the appropriate region, and the Retro Trio will play your game. Uh, The controllers are inspired by the Super Nintendo controller. I noticed that. The look does not look dated at all. It is a very attractive console and it's small you know it's not too much bigger than an nes cartridge right plus it has an hdmi port and upscaled 720p output now i know you're raising a brow at 720p but you got to remember we're talking 480i consoles (laughs) right yeah yeah i mean we're talking you know we're talking graphics that uh you, you weren't sure what things were half the time now for those of you that can't play a retro game without having the retro look it does have composite video outputs so you can attach it to that crt in your grandma's basement and it will still be there a pair of wired controllers are there they do have a bluetooth connectivity i think it's a dongle that plugs into the controller but if you're playing a retro game you want the cord so that when you throw the controller something will stop it (laughs) what's the msrp on it msrp on the super retro trio 79.99 oh that's worth it absolutely i i i almost want to order one right now (laughs) i mean it's cool but i i sold all, all of my cartridges almost all of my cartridges i should say because when digital came, I realized that I'll always be able to get these digitally, and I didn't have the the insight then. Because you know, let's face it, I started selling these cartridges almost 20 years ago. That uh, you know, digital means that the developers can can change shit. Um, <laughs> so I I I blew it on that one. But very very cool console, especially if you still have all of your shit. Yep. I, I know what you mean about digital means that they can change things. You're just still salty about Ms. Pac-Man. Fucking Pac-Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Pac-Mom my ass. <sighs> Cannot, I can't, can't get down with it. Speaking of Pac-Man, ironic that you go there. A Pennsylvania man has become the 11th person in the world to officially 
score a perfect game on the Pac-Man Arcade Upright. Jake Goldberg of Bucks County, Pennsylvania. <laughs> okay. Jake, my hat's off to you, my man. <laughs> uh, Jake has a basement full of retro arcade and pinball machines. And uh, Jake has scored a perfect Pac-Man game this month. That's pretty impressive for those old arcade cabinets. Yeah, I mean, I read the story and it goes down through his his retro arcade. Jake has a pretty impressive retro arcade, I must say. His next goal is to set the highest score on Galaga, which to accomplish would be a Galaga run of 16 plus hours. Oh, wow. That would be a nightmare. That game was rough. Good for Jake. <laughs> I couldn't stand for 16 hours, even if you had a bar stool. Right. But, you know, Jake, Jake's going to do it. So good, for, good for Jake. And Jake, I'm sure, despises Pac Mom as well. At least you hope he does. I, I, I can only hope. Hey, Mister Terraforming Mars, that's you, Bert. What's up, Ryan? Well, half of your namesake was a little pseudo indie game that released on Steam this week called Terraformers. Really? It launched into early access, and I saw this come across my Steam store, and I said, huh, I've not seen this before, and I looked at some of the reviews, and people are going gaga over it. Terraformers is a strategy and management game about settling and exploiting Mars. Interesting. But... It's different to some of the other Mars Colony games, right? Right. Because it plays very much like a board game. Okay. So you send expeditions out to gather resources. You find, you know, different stuff. You build your cities. You manufacture goods. And you tie it all together with transit. But, oh, that's interesting. So you're building like infrastructure as you're exploring. Right. And the development of this is kind of a worker placement feel only in a video game. And people say that it nails it as far as that feeling. And we, we've always been big worker placement guys as far as worker placement games. We love a good worker placement game. You Absolutely. Know, uh, Absolutely. You know, it did just hit early access, so there's a lot of stuff that's going to be tweaked and changed and added and subtracted before it officially launches. Right. But hell, the price is right. It's 18 bucks. Oh, you can't beat that. No. So, and the developers have actually put a clock on their early access. They expect it to be in early access for six months. Now, I remember... Prison Architect was in early access for five years. Now, it was a complete game. But it's still, it was in early access for five years. Uh, they do not want to do that. Um, I might pick this up this weekend if I have any downtime at all. This weekend is not looking good for me. But it's definitely on my wish list, and I'm sure I will pick it up just because of the connections between two of my favorite things, which is city building and board games. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a great sort of... Uh... And those have always kind of been hit or miss when you have like a, an electronic version 
of a board game. You right. know, they can be great or they can kind of be, you know, kind of rugged. It sounds like this one is going to be interesting at least. It's different uh it's different enough from the way you describe it that it's got me intrigued. Right. And it doesn't look or um you know, it has that board game feel. It has that mechanic feel, but it's not a digital board game. It's definitely a full-fledged city builder. So, um, super cool. Very interesting. And last but not least, I thought I would survive the week without my fucking head blowing up. Uh-oh. But I can't. What Hit me. What is it, Ryan? CD Project. The Developers. Of The Witcher, amongst other things, cyberpunk, right? Mm-hmm. Is considering menstrual leave as a step in the right direction for female workers' rights. Hmm. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Do we live in a crazy world? I mean, I don't know. Not having any experience on that end of things, you know... Maybe it's something that is required. Hey, guess what? Here's something you and I do have experience on. We've both had the trauma of multiple kidney stones. True. Did you have to take a sick day? Yes. I sure as fuck did. It's just coming along with the territory. Now, I get it. Women have their monthly visitor. I have a wife. I've had several. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I understand that it's not comfortable and it's not fun. But I also have a wife that mans up and goes to work whether she's bleeding or not. Now, this is piggybacked on the announcement that menstrual leave has been implemented for all employees of Good Old Games. Why do I know that name, Good Old Games? Uh, It's just another game, Marketplace, GOG. GOG is spearheading the initiative, and we're looking forward into expanding it everywhere. Without, and I know that we're already semi-political on this one, but without getting into identity politics, at what point can we call... Pandering, just pandering. Hmm. My head has officially blown up. Oh, Ryan. Ryan. I, 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 I just don't understand it. Can I have hangnail leave? <laughs> Can I have had too many beers last night leave? Quote, it's a real shame. It should even be an issue in the first place, especially when there are women who are constantly trying to prove their capability as employees. Guess what? If you want to prove your capability as employees, do your fucking job. I prove my capability as an employee. How? By being valuable and productive and someone that cannot be replaced. Now, Bert, at work, you know, I may have rubbed people the wrong way. No, in, not you. No, in, yeah. In my various employment endeavors over my lifetime before retirement i sometimes might have got under people's skin no again i gasp i am shocked but i was valuable enough to be an important enough piece of the machine 
you know, I was a pain in the ass, but I was an important piece of pain in the ass. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is if you're good enough at your job, people will put up with your bullshit. Whether your bullshit is bleeding, whether your bullshit is that you're a flaming asshole, the whole spectrum. I don't care what your bullshit is. Your bullshit could be gender-related, politically related, philosophically related. If you're good at your job, it's not. It's a non-issue. I get it, ladies. It sucks. But it's a non-issue for an employer. It's not something that I want my employer spending time doing press releases on. I want my employer spending time making more money because if my employer makes more money, then I make more money. And we all like more money. Everybody likes more money. Let's call a spade a spade. More money benefits everybody. Less money benefits nobody. Wasting time for a woke tweet for International Women's Day, ironically, when this was announced... Do you see where, where I'm getting here, Bert? It's not just that they're looking out for their women. They used it as a photo op. Oh, no. It was their International Women's Day tweet. Fuck you. Maybe maybe you should have uh, had some of your women work a little harder on Cyberpunk before you released it. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, if a company wants to take that stand and they want to they fight on that hill, then... You know, obviously everybody's looking for good publicity, but to throw it out there on International Women's Day just seems like a publicity stunt. It doesn't seem like they're serious about it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, my wife has, she's going to kill me for talking about this. She has the worst cramps of anyone that I've ever experienced. At least that's how she, I'm not calling her a liar by any means. Oh, but, no, no, no. But, you know, of, of, of all the gals in all the places that I've known, Hers really do kick her ass. Guess what? She gets up and goes to work, whether she's bleeding or not. And she doesn't tweet about it on International Women's Day. God right. damn it. That's the news this week, Bert. Uh, okay. Done with that. Yes. Can't, 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 can't go anymore. Our final segment this week, Star Wars. Oh, good. Something exciting. I love a good Star I yeah. love Star Wars. Yeah, and it's something that's been met met with kind of mixed emotions in recent years. Obviously, the sequel movies. <laughs> do we want to do we want to comment on the sequel movies? It's kind of bad when, you know, your fan base doesn't want to admit that 30% of your franchise exists. But 30%, there are Star Wars fans that don't want to admit that 60% of the franchise exists. Um I've always been a big defender of the prequels. Um and I'm starting to feel justified now in my old age because apparently it's okay to like the prequels now. But um, we have the breakdown of all of the future Star Wars games. Everything that's currently in development. All right. Hit me with it. I would love to hear about some of these. Top of the list. Reaching back, it's the remake of Knights of the Old Republic. They're redoing Knights of the Old Republic. That was uh, that was a really fun game, actually. Yeah, that was Bioware and LucasArts originally. And uh, they are completely, quote, rebuilding it from the ground up. Uh, it's been taken over by Asper, who has quite a few of the Star Wars licenses. 
the KOTOR remake, quote, promises to honor what fans love about the original while bringing new fans on this incredible journey. The remake of the 2003 original will be released for PlayStation 5 as a console exclusive at launch. Hmm, Okay, so it's... So you can't play it. I can't (laughs) play it, and it will also come to PC eventually, probably three or six months. Okay, I could could see that one being a, a big draw. I enjoyed Knights of the Old Republic. It was a lot of fun to play. It was, you know, at the time, you know, it was creative. It was one of the best Star Wars games that had been out at the time, so. Right, I think as far as lore, which you know I'm big on. Right. And just a setting in general, KOTOR was probably my number two choice if they were going to expand the Star Wars universe, with my number one choice being Shadows of the Empire. But Mm, KOTOR is a very, very close second, and we've not seen any real expansion on either of those fronts yet. So maybe putting some new eyes on the Knights of the Old Republic will be the nudge in the right direction to getting some new content out in the KOTOR world. And that would be exciting. I mean, the the that's one property that's been kind of underutilized. You know what I mean? For sure. For sure. Next up, Star Wars Hunters. It's a free-to-play multiplayer arena combat game. And it's coming to Android, iOS, and Switch sometime this year. Hunters is set ambiguously after the fall of the Galactic Empire. That's all we know. And right, okay. It, it features original characters, um, you know, so you get the battle drama. Everybody everybody likes that. Uh, Graz, who's a Wookiee, and uh, I think it's funny because in the publicity still, um, Graz is a Wookiee who is fighting with a pair of torn-off droid arms as melee weapons. <laughs> <laughs> so he's going around clubbing shit with, with that. And uh, J3D1, which is a droid that is programmed to believe that it is Force-sensitive. Interesting. Now, it is a mobile and Switch multiplayer arena game, which means that I will never play it. But for those of you that are into that genre or you enjoy some good massively multiplayer arena combat while you're on the shitter. There you go. Star Wars Hunters later this year. Okay, so is it like a it's like a gladiator type? Yeah, it's like a battle like royale kinda... sort of thing. Ah, okay, battle royale, okay. Coming up also, or at least in development, coming up who knows when because there is no date, but we are seeing a sequel to Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Tentatively titled Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order 2. Way to go, guys. (laughs) Ooh, creative. It follows a Jedi Padawan set after the events of Star Wars Episode 3. The same game director is returning from the original, the same director that did God of War 3. And right now there's no official subtitle for it. It's just Fallen Order 2. Thanks, thanks, guys. <laughs> I did not yeah, play I, Fallen Order, did you? No, I did not. Um, although, I did play God of War, so which is, well, I thought was well put together. So, 
it'll be interesting to see what they do with this. Everybody loves God of War. I mean, it's fantastic, and I was super geeked to buy it on PC, and I bought it as soon as it launched, and I still haven't even installed it yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> Next on the list, Untitled Star Wars First Person Shooter. Respawn Entertainment is producing an untitled Star Wars first-person shooter. Good news for Medal of Honor fans, because the same technical lead is taking the helm for this one. It does not have a release date or platforms, but it appears to be EA's replacement for the Battlefront franchise. Okay. So, Battlefront was okay, but it wasn't anything to write home about. Right. Exactly what you would expect, you know. Uh, Medal of Honor in Star Wars juice. Respawn is also tackling untitled Star Wars strategy game. So they're stirring the pot to see what bubbles up as far as producing a strategy game. It is led by Bitreactor, which is the collection of the former XCOM and Civilization developers. So, oh, wow, okay. This one is one that right now has no fanfare, no buzz. But you take Civilization and you take the modern XCOMs, and those are two masterpieces. Smash it together, hose it down in Star Wars. That one could be a sleeper hit. Yeah, I mean, I was a huge XCOM fan. Were you a were you an XCOM player? Oh, and more. I played the originals, and I fell in love with the reimagining that came out for the modern era. It was everything the originals were and more. And yeah, yeah, I I am a huge huge XCOM. I even sent Mikey a copy of XCOM Two about six months ago because he said, bro, I, I never played these. These look hmm. great. And I was like, yeah, they're great. Well, shit. And then, you know, two weeks later, this is too fucking hard and I'm tired of my guys dying, says the guy that, that's sunk now 150 hours in Elden Ring. Right, and he's like, I'm, I'm tired of my XCOM guys dying, but I'll die fighting the same boss 47,000 times in a row. We love you, Mikey. <laughs> Ubisoft has untitled Star Wars game from Ubisoft. <laughs> um, okay. Mass Ubisoft, Entertainment is the division that's doing it, so it's the same division that does the Tom Clancy games. Rainbow Six and things like that, okay. And it is only described as a new story-driven open-world video game set in the Star Wars galaxy. That's hmm. it. That's all we got. Man, I haven't played a Ubisoft game in a long time. Well, you know that I'm a big fan of the Assassin's Creed series. Sure. And uh, I'm revisiting Assassin's Creed Odyssey right now. So I'm actually a little burned out. I had to hit the brakes because I, you know, when you just do too much of the same thing for oh, sure. for far too long, uh, I, I need to hit the brakes because I hit probably 80 hours of Odyssey in the last two weeks. and. <laughs> It's it, 80 hours. Yeah. You put, in a, yeah. you put in a full-time job on Odyssey. Where's my fucking paycheck? And uh, Star Wars Eclipse is also on the horizon. It was unveiled with a very dramatic trailer at the Game Awards in 2021. 
and then it got shelved. Hmm. Well, now buzz is coming back about it. Eclipse will give players a diverse cast of characters as they explore uncharted regions of the Outer Rim and never-before-seen planets and species in the Star Wars universe. Player choice will be at the heart of the experience. Okay, it's doomed. <laughs> that is like the kiss of death for right, games, it, and it, it has been for decades. Players, right, it sounds like the Star Wars version of No Man's Sky. Right, and it took No Man's Sky three years to pull out of that tailspin, and it's now fantastic. You know how many oh, hours sure. I have in No Man's Sky. But player choices will be at the heart of the experience, and every decision can have a dramatic impact on the course of the story. Guys, 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 have we not learned our lesson? No release date, no platform, but early reports that uh, this trip through the Star Wars galaxy is far, far away. <laughs> hmm. Okay, so what's funny is looking it over, you know, with the games that you've gone through with me, none of them took the trends that I expected them to take based on current Star Wars properties. No, they're definitely hitting traditional gaming avenues, which... Right, I mean, with the, with the popularity of, like, The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett, I expected to see some sort of bounty hunting game. We didn't get that. Nope. Uh, Although, you know. Eclipse probably has a bounty hunting arc, I would imagine. I could see that. Uh, it would be part. It would be an element of the game, but it's not the whole game. No. You're not going to spend the whole game hunting bounties. Well, you, you could, depending on how it goes. Remember, right now, Eclipse is like the Duke Nukem of these Star Wars games. Yeah. They've been talking about it for a long time. But an interesting list, nonetheless, of things from the galaxy that is indeed far, far away. It sounds like you've got some possible sleeper hits there. I mean, the one from the XCOM team is definitely going to be on my radar because the idea of sort of that type of gameplay in uh, an established fandom that I already love. There's no reason that I that I wouldn't explore that, you know? Oh, hell yeah. Uh, Squad-based shooter with Star Wars, and you're combining force elements, which, let's face it, if you want to equate it to XCOM, those would be like the psionic elements that were in XCOM. Mm -hmm. uh, they have the blueprint. They just need to tweak and refine and, of course, get the licensing for whatever it is that they want to do. So it's it's definitely an interesting future for Star Wars. But our future is now, because we are just about out of time this week, Bert. Aside from my head blowing up over menstrual leave, <laughs> I think there was a lot of worthy and worthwhile chat that we had this week, you know. the You're sort of holding back and reserving judgment on wizards. I am very much of the opinion that they need to prove me wrong at this point because there's just been too much wrong so far. We got great Star Wars games. We got interesting news. We've got chopsticks that make things taste better. I can't think of a more complete episode than what we had right now. Well, I mean, we've got food, games, and Star Wars. What's not to love? No porn. We did not talk about porn. 
Yeah, that's more a you and Mike thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what is porn for your ears, and that is making sure that you hear the newest episode of Nerd Cognito every time it drops. So go to your favorite podcast provider. Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRate. It doesn't matter. We're everywhere. Make sure that you are subscribed to Nerd Cognito. Tell your friends to subscribe to Nerd Cognito. And, you know, if you feel so inclined, you can give us a great five-star rating because you've got to combat the trolls from Twitter that bombed us on Spotify this week. <laughs> I think we're at a 1.8, Bert. Ooh, that's that's things. I did some... Remember, folks... It- if you like us, you can subscribe in more than one place. We won't tell. Well, and that is that is okay. And and also remember that while we appreciate the ego stroke of the review, the reviews don't really make a shit of difference in the numbers. We talked about that several months ago, remember? Oh, yeah. Um, but you know what? We Who doesn't like to feel good? Anyway, do all of those sorts of things. Subscribe, like, rate, review, and, of course, the most important is tell everybody to get on the Nerd Cognito bandwagon. With that being said, my name is Ryan David. I was joined by Bert. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you tune in down the road. Have a great week, everybody. Be safe out there, everybody. Nerd